0: Hey, turning your Bibles with me this morning to 1 John chapter 5, last week Charles did a great job, as he always does, walking us through the first part of this chapter, we're going to walk through the last part of this chapter today, which will finish up this book that we've been walking through for the last few weeks, and then next week we're going to be in 2 John, and can anybody tell me where we're going to be the next week? Third John, you guys are paying attention, this is awesome. So we're going to actually cover all three of John's letters, John's epistles here, uh, to help us understand, help us to see, like, exactly what God wants us to know. And by the way, the word know is the key word for what we're talking about. In fact, it's the key word of the entire book of 1 John. Because you remember now, and I know if you've been here with us like this journey this summer, you have been uh, kind of made aware, you kind of understand that there was a group in the church back in that day called the Gnostics, right? You remember them, right? They thought that they knew more than anybody else. They put themselves in this separate, you know, uh, special little box over here, like they're better than everyone else, and you remember we kind of picked on the people who were sitting down in this area, you know, kind of talking through like what that group was and thinking that they're better than everybody else. Now, the reason they thought they were better is because they thought that they had a special knowledge of God that no one else had, that they'd been given a special gift of knowledge. And so what we're gonna find out today, what we've been walking through and learning over the last few weeks, is just simply this. That knowledge is not a special knowledge, it's only given to a few. That knowledge is something that we can have. Simply because God sent His Son Jesus, and today the key word, in fact if you're taking notes you ought to write this word down, the key word for today is know. K-N-O-W, not N-O, K-N-O-W, to know, like you can know who God is. And so I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 13, and uh, today, kind of right up front, we're going to be talking about confidence, Like, like if you know something you have confidence, right? So like if you know how to drive a car, then you have confidence that when you pull out of your driveway, you're gonna get to where you're going, right? If you know, if you've been studying, like you know what's gonna be on a test that's coming up in school, you walk into that classroom with confidence that you're gonna do well. Like you can have confidence because you know. And so today we're gonna talk about confidence. And the first uh, element of confidence that John wants us to get in this last part of 1 John chapter 5 is confidence in the promises of God. Confidence in His promise. Let's look at verse 13. Now, last week, Charles used this verse to land his sermon. Today, we're going to use this verse to start our sermon, to launch it, and it says this, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, there's two things, and I want you to leave that verse up on the screen if you would. Where is it? It's somewhere, right over there. Leave that verse up on the screen for a moment because there's two elements of this verse that I think we really need to understand when it talks about the context of this entire book, like the the entire book of 1 John. And the first one you see here, and I'm gonna gonna do the old weatherman thing here, so right here it says, I've written these things, so to you who, isn't this cool? Like I can do this. If I, if you ever fire me, I'm going to WSET, I'm gonna be the weatherman. I have written these things to you who believe. Now in your Bibles or in your phones, if you're following along in your phone, highlight that statement to you who believe. And here's why. Because the entire book of 1 John was not written to an unbelieving public, it was not written to the culture, it was not written to the world, it was written to those who believe. It was written to those who were followers of Jesus Christ. Now that's an important thing because what that tells us is that every one of the promises that are found in this entire book are promises that you can hold on to. By the way, that should instill confidence in you as a believer. So John says, I've written these things to you who believe. So this book was written for you. So again, we're gonna start this morning with a pop quiz. Who was this book written for? Somebody said me, which is right, somebody said you, and you were wrong. Who said you? Whoever said you, you were wrong. It's for me. And if you're sitting out there and you said it, you ought to say me. It was written for all of us. That's who this book was written for. Now put the verse back up on the screen, that's the first part of this phrase, it's important that we can have confidence in the promises of God. I have written these things to you who believe, and in the name of the Son of God so that you — here's the next one — that you may know. You ought to underline that statement that you may know. Now here's why that's such an important part in the context of this passage. Because again, John was fighting against the Gnostics, he was fighting against that group that thought they were better than everyone else. He was fighting against that group that thought that they had a special knowledge. And here, John coming toward the conclusion of this letter, he makes it very clear, listen, I've written everything here so that you can know. Not so that the Gnostics can have the special knowledge, but that you, everyone who believes that you can know. In other words, what he's doing here is he's taking away the exclusivity of the knowledge of God and he's making an inclusivity of the knowledge of God that everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He died, that He was buried, and that He rose again, that you can know that you have eternal life. Now that's good news, don't you think? That's good news because there are so many people today who question their faith. So many people today who question, who doubt, like, what this whole thing is all about. And so when you go back to that verse, when you go back to that statement, he says, I've written these things to you who believe. That goes all the way back to 1 John chapter 8, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, in verse 8 it says this, If you say that you do not have sin, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself if you think you're good. Gnostics believe that they were better than everyone else. You're lying to yourselves if you think that you are good. If you're lying to yourselves if you think that you don't have sin. You're lying to yourselves if you think that you don't struggle with the temptations of this world. But verse 9, but if you confess those sins... That He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what's the promise that we can have confidence in? That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times that you've messed up as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that when you mess up, you can never mess up so badly that you take yourself out of the promises of God. I don't know about you, but we could just shut the thing down right now and walk out of here encouraged. Because God has promised that you are firmly in His grip and that nothing can pull you away. Talk about the security of the believer, man, how awesome is that to know? Like why? Go back to that verse, put it back up again. I've written these things, John says, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to you who believe, that's to all of us, in the name of the Son of God, you believe in Jesus Christ, that's where it comes from, so that you may know, and here's the last part, that you have eternal life. That that's not something that you can lose, it's not something that you can blow, it's not like the ticket that's in your back pocket that you will pull out the Willy Wonka ticket, like hey man, I'm going to heaven. It can't blow out of your hand, it can't be taken from you, you can't negate that ticket by something that you do. Because of who Christ is, because of God's love for you, because of what you have done when you have trusted and believed in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ as the one who died and who rose again, you have the promise of eternal life. So right here in this room today, I want to ask you a question, like how many of you know, like I am a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm saved, raise your hand. Now I want you to keep your hand up because I want everybody to look around. This is who you're going to spend eternity with in heaven, look around. This is who you're gonna spend eternity with in heaven. And here's the cool thing, you put your hands up, like, no one can take that away from you. Now that's good news, but for some of you it might be bad news, because maybe you didn't put your hand up. And maybe you're looking around and seeing all these hands up and you're feeling like, man, I'm, I'm left out. Well, then we come back to the good news, because the good news says, John says, I have written these things so that you who believe, in other words, it's not a special group. It's not like those are the chosen ones, it's not like the ones who were born in the right place or who are lucky enough to be, you know, part of this group over here, no, no, no. To you who believe. So what is the key word of verse 13? It's the word believe. Because that is how we find the hope and the promise of salvation. It is not through what you do, it's not through how good you are, it's not through uh, where you were born, or what you know, or what school you went to, or what church you attend, it's not through any of that, it is through what do you believe? And those of you who believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Confidence in His promises. Now I don't know about you. But these last verses of 1 John chapter five are some of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture, because I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've had a conversation with people in the past where they have said to me, "They like I-, I just don't know. I'm not sure." Like God does not want you to walk through your faith journey, He does not want you to walk through the rest of your life questioning whether salvation is yours, questioning whether you're gonna spend eternity in heaven, questioning whether you're gonna be able to step into that place that God has prepared for you. And right here John says in verse 13, hey, I've written this so that you'll know. I have written this so that you will know. That through believing in Jesus you have eternal life, period, done, signed, sealed, delivered. Call Stevie Wonder, it's a good song. It's a done deal. And so we understand, absolutely, we can have confidence in His promise, but then we can also have confidence in a lot of other things, like secondly, we can have confidence in His care for us. Look what it says in verses 14 and 15, this is the confidence that we have. And we have confidence we have before Him if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. Now, this is an important couple of verses, it's also a difficult couple of verses. And it's difficult because when you read that first one, verse 14, this is the confidence we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if He hears us, we know we have what we ask. That's good news. Like, like, man, I want something, and so therefore what this verse tells me, again, it's written to me as a believer, so if I ask God, then God promises right here, I'm gonna give you whatever you want. That's not what it says. The problem is so many believers walk through life thinking that's what it says. They walk through their faith journey thinking that God, because He is so good and because He loves me so much and because of promises that found like here also in the words of Christ Himself who said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you, that you think like, man, all I've got to do is ask God and God will give it to me. And when God doesn't give it to you, you begin to question the goodness of God. That's not what this passage says. We go back to what it says here. Yes, we can have confidence, but we have confidence in His care for us, but there's some qualifiers here that we've got to understand. So again, this is the confidence that we have before Him. So right now, understand first, Right God wants you to have confidence in prayer, okay, do you understand that? God wants you to have confidence. We can have this confidence before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Now, can anybody tell me what the qualifier is in that verse? If we ask anything according to what? His will. Anything according to His will, that's why every time that I walk into a hospital room praying with someone who is very near death, praying with a family who's suffering and, and dealing with that loss and they're wondering like, you know, what's going on and we're praying for healing. Here's what we're, we're praying that God would heal. We're praying, God, we want you to heal Him. But when we pray that prayer, we're asking God to heal according to our will. Because here's what we want, when we're asking God for healing, we're not asking God for eternal healing, are we? We're asking God for physical healing. When I was with my dad on th- his office floor, when he was, you know, when he was lying there lifeless, and, and there were people there, Mike right here in the front, who was giving him CPR, and we were sitting there, I was praying in that moment, Mike, you remember that moment, I was praying right there, praying God, God heal him, God heal him, God bring him back, God, God heal him, God. I was praying that God would bring him back physically. Now, in that moment when my dad did not come back, in that moment when my dad did not start breathing again and his heart start beating again, I could have walked out of that experience doubting God, questioning God, angry with God, but I didn't, you know why? Because here's what I know, God answered my prayer. God answered my prayer in a totally different way, but oh, in a so much better way, because my dad was healed for eternity. My dad, my dad was ushered into the presence of God and he'll be there for all of eternity in a place that Revelation 21 talks about, where there's no more pain and no more sorrow no more tears, no more death. Like I am so grateful that my dad never had to wear a mask. (laughs) Because I know my dad. He would have been miserable to, be, miserable to be around if he had to wear a mask walking into a restaurant. Uh, I, I promise you, it would have been front pages of the newspapers because he would have, I'm not wearing a mask, I'm not, I, I mean, I just know, I'm so glad that we never had to deal with it. I'm so glad I never had to, to experience my dad seeing some of the things that are happening in, in, in this culture today. I'm so glad that my dad never had to go through so much of the pain and the suffering that we go through every day. My God answered my prayer for healing. But see, He answered that prayer according to His will and not mine. And just so you know, like, like quick, like, like, you know, cliff note, cliff note version here, God's will is always better than yours. God's will is always better than yours. Man I've prayed for a lot of things in my lifetime. I prayed when I was a teenager, God, I, you know, give me a beautiful wife, I want a beautiful wife, you know, God, I want a, and I had all this, I want this wife to be perfect, and, and God answered my prayer, no question about that, you know, but, but God's will is always better, I prayed, for, I prayed for a Lamborghini when I was 12. And in my office right now, I want you to know, God answered that prayer. Because someone in this room, and I don't know who they are, they came by my office not long ago and they dropped off a box and I opened up the box and there's this little die-cast metal scaled-down version of a Lamborghini, it's in my — I own a Lamborghini. So cool, God answers our prayer. See, God's will is always better than our will. And so, what we can have confidence in is the fact God cares for you. Because here's why we know this. Because if God's will is always better than our will, and we're praying for God to do what we desire for Him to do, regardless of what that outcome is, regardless of what He does, what we know is this, is that what God ends up doing for us in the midst of our situation, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our heartache, whatever God does, I can guarantee you God will do what is best for you so we can have confidence God cares about you. Because here's what you can know, God will never do anything to you that hurts you. God is not going to do or walk you through a situation, He's not going to take you into place that is not the best for you. God is always going to walk you through the best. And I know you're sitting back and a lot of people in this room are thinking like, how, how can what I went through be the best for me? I look back here and I see Larry and Bonnie Roots, a wonderful couple in our church. And not long ago, they went through the loss of a daughter. And we prayed for that daughter. We prayed for healing for that daughter. And they could sit back there and say, well, how can it be true that, that, that that God did what is best for us? Because God's healing is always better than the healing that we ask for. It breaks our heart, but it breaks our heart in a broken world. I can guarantee you there'll come a day. When Larry and Bonnie have the op- opportunity to walk into the, the gates of heaven, and they have the opportunity of seeing their daughter again, and at that moment they'll never question again, did God do its best? They'll never question that, because they'll be with her for eternity. I look around this room, there are lots of people that go through that same situation. We can have confidence in God's care for us, but we have to understand that God wants us to have confidence in prayer when we line up our will with God's will. How do we do that? Well, just three quick things of how we do that, it's number one, we seek, number two, we trust, and number three, we rest. Just three simple words, we seek, we trust, we rest. What does that mean? We seek the things of God, we trust the goodness of God, and we rest in the promise of God. And see, if we have that, if we understand that that we can have confidence in God's care for us, we can have confidence in the idea of prayer. So when you go back to verse 14, it says this is the confidence that we can have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. This is the great promise of God. I read a great quote this week, I want to read it to you, David Wall said it this way, prayer must be viewed not as our attempt to get God to see things from our point of view, but as our attempt to see things through God's point of view. When we grow, mature, study, and meditate on Scripture and seek the will of God, we try to ask ourselves not what we want, but what God wants, and then we make progress in prayer. You see, we can have confidence, the more time you're spending seeking God, the more opportunity you'll have to understand the goodness of God and the confidence that we can have in God that He cares for us. Now we keep reading this passage and we recognize right up front again that this idea, this word of confidence is now we can have confidence in our responsibility for others. Like we actually have a job to do, look what it says, verses 16 and 17, if anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death, uh, there is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Now, what this tells us is a couple things. Number one, we've been commanded to pray for one another. What that tells you is this, when it goes back and say that if you see a fellow believer who's committed sin, falling into sin, like you should pray for them, that means we have a responsibility. What it does not say is that if you see a fellow believer who is committing sin, falling into sin, who is backsliding, you do not have the right or the opportunity or the responsibility to gossip, criticize, and put them down. Isn't that something the church should learn? Because boy, we're good at that, aren't we? In fact, I would say, I would venture to say, we are better at gossiping and criticizing than we are praying for fellow believers. And that's a sad condemnation of the Church of Jesus Christ, because that's not what we should be known for. We should be known that when someone falls that we're the first one there to help them get back up. And so it says here that if you see a fellow believer, man, pray for them. Now it does have a little statement in here that can be a little bit concerning a little bit problematic and it says, if it's not a sin that leads to death, and he says I'm not saying that you should pray about that one. Now what does that mean? And this is an area where a lot of people get nervous, they get scared. Because when you talk about a sin that leads to death, you can kind of put that together with this idea of the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin, all that kind of thing, and you're like, wonder what that is. It goes back to Matthew chapter 12 when, when Jesus very clearly said, like, like you know, there is a sin that cannot be forgiven, and you're sitting like, like what is that? And, and there have been lots of people, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had a young lady come to me here at the altar and said, listen, I'm afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin, and I just don't know what to do. And I had the opportunity of talking with her and, and encouraging her and assuring her that, that, that that's probably probably not what she's experiencing. And so what is the, that sin, that sin that leads to death? Now there's a lot of different views on this, you know, one would say it's like a really bad, bad sin. Uh, I don't believe that's true, I don't believe that's an accurate uh, depiction or translation here because if there was a really, really bad, bad sin that you could commit that then takes you outside of the presence and the promise and the hope of God, uh, then that would mean that there's degrees of sin and there are no degrees of sin. Because sin is just simply disobedience to God. And and there are different levels of sin, but there's no degrees of sin. Murder is just as bad as stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar when your mom tells you not to. It's the same. The consequences are different, okay? But the sin is still sin. It's disobedience, right? It's a disobedience to God. So, I don't believe that it's like a really bad, bad sin. Some would say, you know, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's okay. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter... 12. Now, what Jesus was talking about is when you, uh, when, when they at that time were saying that the works that Jesus was doing, the miracles that He was performing, uh, were not of God, that rather they were of uh, Satan, of uh, Beelzebub, as the Pharisees said at that time. What they were saying is they were attributing the works of God to Satan. And so in other words, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But we need to understand that blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is something that is a continual state of denial of the goodness, the presence, and the power of God. So in other words, when this young lady asked me a couple of weeks ago, I'm worried that I — you know, I'm going back when I was a teenager and I, I said some things and I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit and so, you know, my heart is broken because I feel like I, I can't go to heaven, I feel like I'm not saved, I'm just concerned about that. But here's the good thing, if she's concerned about it, if she's worried about it, if her heart is broken over it, guess what? then she's not in a continual, constant state of denial of the presence and the promise and the power of God. In other words, there has been repentance. You see, what happens is this, is that when you are in a place where you are continually blaspheming God, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, continually denying the, 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 the deity of Christ and denying, you know, rejecting Christ of who He is, then yes, when that day comes when you die, like, you're done. Like, you're going to spend eternity in hell. But the goodness of God is this, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this idea, this picture that we're talking about here is understanding, like, like as, a fo- as a believer, as a follower of Christ, here's the good news, you cannot commit the sin that is to death. Isn't that good news? You can't commit the unpardonable sin. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, it lives within you, it dwells within you, which is the moment, happens at the moment of conversion, the moment of salvation, because the Holy Spirit is in you, present in you, working in you, and and alive in you, then it is impossible for you then to also blaspheme that same Holy Spirit, because it can't not happen, because you're not under the control of Satan, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. And so we can have confidence in our responsibility to others. like God has called you to do something, we gotta do it. We can have confidence in the fact that God wants us to serve one another, God wants us to pray for one another, God wants us to work for and with one another. And so this passage clearly tells us, gives us that statement of understanding of like what that looks like. Now, we can also have, go to verses 18 and 19, confidence in the protection of God. Confidence in His protection. And this is a big one in today's world, today's culture. Look what it says, verses 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Now, let me just give you a quick three promises that you can pull out of these two verses that can encourage you today. Three promises that come from these three, uh, these two verses. The first one is this, is we can avoid sin because of God's promise and God's presence in our lives. Now it says here that everyone who has been born of God, in other words, who's who's born again, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, does not sin. Now again, we go back to 1 John chapter 1 verse 8, anyone that you say that you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself. Like what, is that a contradiction here? No, it's not a contradiction. Because he's not saying here like you'll never sin again. What he's saying is, is that you will not live in a constant state of continual unrepentant sin. Like like you're not gonna continue walking in that path of sin that leads you from God, stays away from God, never going back, never repenting, that, that is not what a believer does. A believer has that conscience, the Holy Spirit within him, that tells them like, that's wrong, that's what you've done. And so when you are walking in the Spirit, when you're walking as a follower of Jesus Christ, it says here, like, they do not sin. In other words, they're not living in a constant state of sin because of what Christ has done for you, because you're not under the control of the world anymore, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing is like, you can avoid sin because of the presence of God in our lives. The second one is this. We are fully protected from the attacks of Satan. Look what it says in verse 18, and the evil one does not touch him, him, her, you, me, the evil one cannot touch you. Man I love that. Why do I love that? Here's why, because the Bible says that Satan is the one who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's like the lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. We know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, he is the, you know, the prince of the power of the air, he's the king of this world, all of the descriptions that are given here in Scripture of who Satan is. But here's what we know, as powerful as Satan is, according to God's Word, he can't touch you. Good news? Encouraging? Absolutely. Third promise, third promise is this, we are not controlled by the world. Look what it says, verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. The whole world. Now remember, it's not talking about a globe here, not talking about like a, you know, a big thing of dirt or big round rock, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that word cosmos, that Greek word that literally talks about like that, that ornament of, that, 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 you know, condition of. It talks about those who are away from God. That's the description of the world. So when we use that phrase, we do it so often, hey, don't live like the world. Like we're not saying don't live like the globe. We're not saying don't live like, you know, this, this mother planet earth thing that people talk about. No. What we're saying is, like, don't live like Satan. Don't run after the things of Satan, because Satan is the one that controls the world, the cosmos, the the, the ornaments of this world. But what it's telling us here is that we're not in that group. We are not controlled by the world. We are in the world, not of the world. And so we can have confidence in the fact that God protects us. I mean, that's good news. But finally, we also see this. We can have confidence in who He is. Confidence in who He is. Look at verses 20 and 21. And we know, and you notice, like, by the way, you remember the keyword? What's the keyword of this passage we're talking about today? Keyword? All right. And so you've seen as we've been reading through from verses 13 all the way down, over and over and over again. We know, we know, we know. Look what it says, verse 20. And we know. That the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So we can have confidence in who he is. Now look again, it goes says, We know that the Son of God has come. And here's the you ought to underline this passage, and has given us understanding. Remember, who is he writing to refute? Who is he writing to attack? The Gnostics, the one who said, oh, there's special knowledge, only they can have it. No, I'm writing this, John says, so that all of you understand that you can know that the Son of God has come and has given you understanding. Not just that group over there, all of you, giving you understanding so that we may know the true One, the true God, all of us, it's a universal idea. We can know God through Jesus Christ. We are in that true one, that is His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God in eternal life, and then look at verse 21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. That's how He ends the letter. Now some would say, well that's kind of a weird extra thought, it's kind of like like a PS, like an addendum that has nothing to do with what He's been talking about. Actually, that's not true. Actually what he says there, little children, guard yourselves from idols, really is kind of an encompassing statement that goes back all the way through back to 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, because basically what he says is this, hey, make sure, dear children, all of you, remember, keep yourselves from putting anything before God. Don't let anything in your life that takes the place of where God should be. The Gnostics were sitting there and they were allowing themselves to be put on pedestals. They were saying that they were special, they were saying that they were better than everyone else. In other words, they were putting the idol of self before God. I think today when we live in this culture and we live in this world, there are so many people that have taken. And they've taken the presence of God in their lives and they've kind of set it on a shelf and they've replaced Him with a lot of other things. Money, power, fame, status, stuff, sex, drugs, alcohol, you name it, we could go through a list that could keep going, pride, like, like for, you know, an hour we could go through a list. And what John says is, guys listen, everything I've been talking to you about. Like all this stuff that I've been talking to you about, listen, understand. Like, the only thing you really need to do is have confidence in who He is. He is the King of all, He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. And He is the one that needs to take preeminence in your life. He is the one that you seek. He is the one that you run after. He is the one that you obey. He is the one that you serve. He is the one that you trust. He is the one that you lean on. He is the one that will bring you through every trial. He is the one that promises to bring healing. He is the one that no matter what you go through, is the one that will always stick by your side closer than a brother. He is God. And don't let anything else take His place in your life. And so today, man, I hope, I hope that every one of you will walk out of here today encouraged. I know I'm encouraged because I have confidence today, and not confidence in me, not confidence in my abilities, I have confidence in God, and I know that I know that I know that I know and because I believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, I have eternal life, and nobody can take that away. That's the promise and the hope of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for who You are and for Your goodness. Thank You for the words that You give to us, God, that encourage us when we need it. And God, I know there are people in this room that need it. I know there are those watching who need it, listening who need it. God, there are people in this room today who've doubted their faith, they've doubted their walk, they've doubted salvation. And maybe because of that doubt, they have allowed themselves to lean into and run away from truth and to believe in the lies of the world, the lies of culture, the lies of sin. And they've been leaning on that, finding their identity in what the world says rather than finding their identity in Christ. And believing that God clearly tells us that we are His children. Ephesians 2.10, we're His masterpiece. God doesn't make a mistake. So God, I pray that today we would be a group of people, a body of Christ that is confident, that is encouraged, that is strengthened, because we know. And Father, if there's someone here today, someone watching or listening that doesn't know that hasn't come into that relationship of knowing you through trusting in Christ, I pray right now they'll make that decision, to believe that yes, we're all sinners, and yes, because of that sin we deserve separation from God, but because of who God is, because of your great love for us, because Christ came and died and rose again by believing in Him, that we can be saved. God, do that work in this moment. For that, we'll give you all the praise. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, we're gonna sing together this morning. We're gonna stand, and when we do, the altar's open, our team is here. Now listen, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you are a child of God, that you've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, that He died and that He rose again, man, I want you, as soon as we stand, I want you to make a beeline down here and talk to one of our team members. If you are here today and you think maybe I'm saved but I'm not 100% sure, like I've been doubting and I've been concerned, hey, that is not what God wants for you. And there's a problem, there's an issue and we would love to pray with you and talk with you about that so that, verse 13, so that you will know, have confidence in knowing. We'd love to talk with you, our team is here, please come. Maybe if you're here today and man, there's sin that you just need to get right with God, man, come here, and kneel here, just pray, put it before His. His, his face, put it at the foot of cross, the foot of the cross. Maybe you wanna come and join our church or come for baptism. Maybe you wanna come and pray for a family member, a friend, like whatever God is speaking to you. But like, Here's the deal, everything we've talked about today is that we can have confidence. And I think so often people are afraid to make a move to the altar because they do not walk in confidence, they walk in fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. So today, if you're here and you know you've got to deal with God, you know you've got to get some things right, man, don't let fear stop you. Have confidence today. You are a child of God. And God has given you everything that you need to make sure everything's right. So let's stand. Let's sing. Zach's going to lead us. The altar's open. Step out right now. that because Christ lives, that we know, Lord, we have confidence today because of Christ. So God, help us to walk in that confidence, walk in that knowledge, walk in that understanding. Lord, with our heads held high, knowing that because of what Christ has done, that we have the promise and the hope of eternal life. And while we have the promise of eternal life, we also have the promise that you will walk through us in this life. God, that you'll be with us every step of the way, that no matter what we go through, God, we can have confidence in you. Thank you, God, for that gift. Bless us today as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our altar's open. we love to talk with you. Come on down. Remember, today, key word is what? No. Have confidence today because Christ lives. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, Well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.